It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. Here we are again on ESPN. Uh, Hope you followed us over uh, for this new time and station just this week again. Now, we did two weeks of this. Next week, we'll be back at our 9 to 11 segment over on the fan. Uh, They've been doing some special training camp coverage over there. I guess we have a football team in Denver. That's what I heard. No, honestly, if you follow the show, you know I'm a big sports fan. Uh, But we got a lot to cover today. We also will podcast if you... And uh, if you tuned in, you missed some of last week, or you want to catch up with missing something this week because you got something to do, you go to uh, 1043thefan.com, our podcast. We also put links to a lot of the podcasts on our Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You can follow a lot there. We'll talk more about that during the show. Right now, let's go to the phones. And joining us, as he does at 10 o'clock, couldn't get him to move. He's stubborn, so he had to stay at 10, even though we moved our time. Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It's always great to have you on. You know, Nate, uh, before we get in, I know you want to talk uh, You want to talk a lot about um, archery pronghorn is coming up. And I also know you've been covering a lot of scouting. You've been doing it on this show, and you're always our great hunting resource. We appreciate it so much, Nate. You're just such, an, uh, such a resource for us. The smoke that's in the air right now, both for scouting for other upcoming game seasons and with pronghorn season starting, is this smoke altering anything? You know, it's not affecting animal behavior, but I am literally calling in right now from 13,000 feet. I am up in the high country. Uh, I had to get to the top of the mountain. I'm actually sitting in an old mining cabin or next to it uh, to get out of the wind to do this show. And it's unbelievable. I, I'm literally forced to look at probably half the distance that I normally would through my spotting scope to find animals. Um, so it is really tough for the the hunters that are major into glassing. So if you have that spotting scope and that's your, your main way to find animals, um, you know, where I used to be able to sit on top of a mountain and look extremely long range, find animals, build patterns. I am forced uh, to get a lot closer right now. Um, so it's really affected more the style of scouting that I do and how I scout. Um, Cause normally I, I try to stay away from the animals and just watch them from afar. Um, and, and now I'm kind of forced to kind of hit some new areas and get a little closer. So it's really change things up so the visibility is tough and then obviously you know hiking around um i i don't seem to have an issue with the lungs but i'm talking to other hunters uh with some respiratory stuff that are having some issues and just in the hiking in general uh with the smoky condition so it's kind of six to one half dozen the other but it definitely is affecting the visibility um of eating, of everything out there glassing and finding animals uh even shooting your rifles you're trying to get some haze so so it's definitely a, a change for sure now first of all i the caution today is going to be one of the worst smoke days we've had in all year and in a long time so if people do have respiratory problems today's probably not that day to go for that big hike or even that long bike ride so folks you know take it easy maybe today's the day you sit inside and you work on your gear or something so you're not out in the smoke the last question that i know you want to talk about the pronghorn season it's about to start um does the smoke affect the the animal's ability to de- to detect you and your scent at all. Uh, it does not affect the scent at all. I've had other quest hunters actually ask me that question too, Terry. It's a great question. People are asking if it's a cover scent. Is it going to actually help me in regards to scent? And it has zero effect. They smell right through it. Uh, 
unfortunately, that they get used to that smoke smell instantly. Uh, so it does no cover-up scent for you as a hunter. So uh, that, again, I, I've had that question a lot, and that, that is one of those things that you still have to play the wind. It's going to have zero effect on, on a cover scent aspect of your hunt. Um, and then as far as the animal's visibility, I mean, in, in certain regards, yes, they're always going to see better than us. So if you are, I mean, like right now today, where I'm physically sitting this second, um, you know, I can I can see very good up to about a thousand yards away, and after that, it's just too tough. I can kind of make out an animal here and there, but really struggle to tell what it is. Um, at those distances, yes, it is going to cover you up, but honestly, at those distances, they're not that scared of you anyways, uh, you know, at that 1,200 yards, 1,400 yards. Um, so it is adding cover to, yes, in some regards, that's a hunter, but in regards to once it actually gets to the point where we're actually going to be pursuing to harvest these animals, um, same thing, it's not quite thick enough to really help you out there. So I would say that the biggest hindrance of it all is the, the ability to hike and have those respiratory issues, um, as well as the visibility to hunters. And the visibility is the biggest thing. And so many times that we're, you know, especially in the mountains as an elk hunting and a mule deer hunting situation, even bear, we're sitting low glassing up. You know, we'll sit at a low point and we'll glass up to high country, glass up peaks. Um, anytime that you you're affecting the levels. That smoke is so changing in elevation that if you're looking flat, so if you're on a peak looking across the other peak, that's your best visual plane right now. But if you're low looking high, that's where whatever, however that smoke is layered, breaking through those layers is being extremely difficult. So any elevation or angle change, whether you're looking up or down, um, that's where it's the hardest. So I encourage hunters right now, think about that. And looking level has been the best thing for me this morning as far as the the most clear visibility and being able to see the furthest of that visibility. Um, but if you're trying to go up or down at all, that's where that, that layered smoke is really going to be tough on you. Um, so that's probably the biggest effect that we're seeing is just the visibility and lack of, you know, picking out those small definitions. You know, we're looking miles away for animals. You know, it's hard enough as is, you know, just to pick them apart. Um, when you throw this on top of it, it dang near makes it impossible. All right. That's a great, great uh, insight into it, Nate. Now, I know pronghorn season, archery, is just around the corner. Um, what's going on and what should we be doing? So, Terry, it is time. I mean, it, it starts on the 15th. I believe that's next Sunday. Um, it is time there. We've been talking scouting. I've had so many questions about scouting this week. And unfortunately, I mean, we're down to the wire. It's the point where I'm no longer scouting. I am doing my final preparation. So in regards to pronghorn, we have an amazing state. We have our mountain pronghorn. We have pronghorn out in the plains. You have grassland. They, they live in such a wide, vast terrain Every region is going to have a different style of hunting them. Um, I think hands down the most popular and probably the most successful way to archery hunt a pronghorn uh, you know, animal is going to be sitting on a water hole with a ground blind. That's just the best way. You have to pay your dues. You have to put a lot of time in. But that's going to be the most successful way. We also have a lot of spotting and stalking where you hope that they're just over a hill or just over a knoll and you sneak up on them. That's a very successful way. Um, as the rut gets heavier, decoying them um, with decoys, it is kind of a 50 50. I've had days where I pop up that decoy and they literally run away. And I've had decoys where I, or I've had days decoying where I've almost got run over by the pronghorn coming in so hot. So decoys can be split. That's where I really encourage scouting. If your bucks are mellow, if they're not chasing each other around, 
the decoy is not going to work. But through scouting, if you know these bucks are on edge, if you know that rut, you know, getting to them where it's still very early in that stage. But if you know that it's very heavy in that rut kind of conditions where they're starting to chase, starting to hold those, um, that's where, where decoying could be successful in those regards. Um, so that's an option. Then kind of your last option is curiosity. If you have, again, rolling hills, if you have some sort of change in, in elevation in the hunting ground to where you can put a mirror up or you can put a white flag they are curious and in times a lot of times they'll come check that out um that's the last of my options i i personally have not had great success with it but uh, i know people that have so those are kind of your vast options um but I want to touch base on a couple of them just because I've been fielding so many questions about it. So in regards to hunting over water hole in a blind, those are those things that these animals have to get used to. Um, you know, so whether it's a natural blind or pop-up blinds, you got to check your regulations, make sure you can use them in the area that you're at, you know, make sure you're in legal regards to all that. But if you throw a pop-up blind on that water hole the day before you hunt, um, that's where you're going to spook those animals off. You are not going to have success. So, you know, even if it's not a blind, even if I'm sitting, you know, by a, a tall bush, I need to make all my preparations now so they have a week to get used to those things there. So even if you're going to brush yourself in, um, you, know, you need to pile up those brush piles now, not later in the week. You have to give these animals time uh, to see it. If you do it too close to the start of the season, all of a sudden you're going to be there trying to get ready. And, and if something changes that they're not used to, they immediately throw that red flag up and they are not going to come into that water hole. So right now I am doing all those types of things to where I am making sure that however i am concealing myself is set up now it's ready it's prepped it's ready to go i have my trail cameras out so i can really learn timing i'm watching where these pronghorn approach from um i can't tell you how many hunters i know that have an active water hole so they have a water hole that pronghorn are actively hitting they have a great blind or area to set up on that water hole so they're good there and then so many times the information they're lacking is how these pronghorn approach so you know they have this great plan they have cameras out all this intel and then on opening day they park and they walk right through the pronghorn in the dark to, to try to get to their blind and they ruin the entire day so i'm asking myself now hey where are these going to be the day before where are they going to be coming from that morning how do i get into my blind undetected to where it's just a normal day to those pronghorn and they don't have any fear coming into that water hole so those are the type of things that i need to do now make sure that concealment set up make sure you know your yardage if you want to put a a rock and that's one of those things that i do so i i know from my my blind to my water hole is 30 yards but then i might put a rock just outside of that that water hole indicating where my 40 yards is at where my 50 yards is at i try to make it to where when that pronghorn comes in i'm never moving i am ready i'm not range finding everything is flawlessly set and and I'm going to give a few tips for the ground blinds. I know we have a lot of new hunters this year. And, again, just more fielding questions that I've personally been getting asked. Um, everybody asks, what do you wear in your blind? Do you wear camo? Yes, you can wear camo. I personally wear black. So for me personally, I wear a black shirt, uh, a black buff, black hat. Um, but I only have the window open facing the front. So all other windows are closed other than my one shooting alley going straight to that water hole. Even though you're narrowing your vision and really eliminating a lot of vision, um, when they come in, if you have other windows open, they will detect movement so fast and it will ruin your hunt. So you only want one window open, and that way you have a back your backdrop in your blind is black they will not pick you up so i actually wear black in my blind and that's been one of those major things that helps me and i always have a plan to where 
Am I going to shoot from a seat? You know, so often we're sitting in a blind, in a, in a chair in our blind, um, but can you shoot from that chair? So I have to know, am I going to shoot from a kneeling position? Am I going to shoot from a seating position? Make sure that your window and sight allow for that. I can't tell you how many hunters that look through their window and they're like, oh, perfect. I have plenty of opening in my window. You know, I have 12 inches. And they don't realize that by the time they lift their arrow up, to get their arrow to clear, their sight is now looking at the blinds. If they move their bow down to where their sight's cleared, they're now shooting their arrow through the blind. So think about the distance between your arrow rest and your and your overall sight on your archery equipment. Do you have room to fit those both in that window to where you can clear it and make that good shot? Can you shoot from your knees? Can you shoot from a sitting position? Think about all those things now. Make that prep today and tomorrow to where literally they have a week for everything to get settled and you're ready for a successful hunt next Sunday. So keep those things in mind. Uh, that, that will drastically help you increase your odds. Nate, that's tremendous information. We are out of time, but I'm going to steal a minute. I'll get it back to the parks people at the other end so we don't shorten them. But if you were going fishing, we're going to have some warm weather again. We may have the smoke, but what's the, where would you go? Give me two plus two spots you'd go fishing. Absolutely. I got three things real quick. Number one, if you want more pronghorn, join me live Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. I'm going to be joining a Colorado Parks and Wildlife officer in the field. We're going to be talking about pronghorn, talk about those final steps, basically an in-depth, hour-long Q&A of what we just talked about. I encourage everybody, go to any of the Colorado Parks and Wildlife outlets Tuesday at 7 p.m. It's going to be awesome with more intel on this. As far as fishing, I have two spots. The water level at Chatfield has been dropping drastically within the last 10 days we're down almost four vertical feet um the chad population is tremendous but with that is acting like the old chat field so all your spots that you have been lost uh, of for not being able to fish this whole spring uh and summer are now back so not necessarily that the fishing is any hotter but there's a lot more confidence amongst the anglers um and that confidence is shining through and we're seeing a lot more bass and a lot more walleye being caught anytime you have lowering water it pushes those fish to structure towards the middle uh, so that's been very good. And then you cannot overlook the pike fishing. We've been talking about it for multiple weeks now, but the pike bite here in Colorado c- continues to be absolutely incredible. We are seeing a ton of 40-inch fish. Uh, so, so if you're going somewhere, if you're going to make a weekend trip, longer trip, I would hit pike. If you're staying local, think about that, that chat build option. All right, my friend, tight line outdoors if people want to get a hold of you. And we will talk to you back on the fan next week at uh, 10 o'clock. Perfect. We'll see you then. All right. Nate Zielinski, always a great resource. We ran a little long, but we'll make it up. We're going to take a quick time out, and we come back. Darby Shanks from Jackson Lake is going to join us. We're going to talk some fishing and some astronomy on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. Little Dire Straits will get you rocking and rolling. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors broadcasting at a special time today on our sister station, 1600 ESPN, because of some Broncos training camp things that are going on. We will be back on the fan next week, but we're loving it here on our sister station. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Jackson Lake, one of our good friends, she's been contributing to the show for a long time, Darby Shanks. Good morning, Darby. Good morning. You know, I was just thinking, you've been calling into the show, I think, even before you were at Jackson, didn't you? I believe so. I, I can't remember anymore. It's been, been several years. We've been both to been having just so much fun, haven't we? We have. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You really do have a really unique oasis in Colorado at Jackson Lake. Now, we want to talk about the fishing. We want to talk about some events. But why don't you tell people where the park is located and describe it a little bit? Sure. 
So we're located probably in the northeast corner. Basically, if you take I-76 out of the Denver area, we're probably about 45 to an hour from the Brighton area and then a little farther wherever in the suburbs. Um, and then we're about 10 miles north of our lake. When we're full, we're about 2,600 acre feet. But right now, so you never know what our water level will be during the summer by any means. But right now, we still have plenty of boating which is awesome. Um, but with the fishing, you know, it's been hit and miss for the most part, for sure. Um, there has been some wiper action, but really slow on walleye because um, they're the two main species a lot of people come out here for. So, yeah, I, we will. And I'll talk a little bit about more about the fishing in a minute, but I want to talk about one thing, a couple of things to really differentiate. One we're going to get to when we talk about your event, but another one is a lot of people don't realize that the sandy beach at Jackson Lake has been rated like one of the best state park beaches in the country. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, several years ago, and I don't remember what year it was, but yeah, it was rated in the top 10 and then 15 on two different resources. So, yeah, so when the water level drops, the beach is a lot uh, bigger beach areas for sure, but when we're full, you don't have much uh, beach area at all. But it's, it's a lot bigger than it was at the beginning of the summer, so there's being some more exposed with the dropping of the water. Well, and that beach is beautiful sand, and you have shallow water that you can actually, you can wade out for just so far, and you're still only up to your waist. And it's really a, a just a tremendous, tremendous beach. And the water temperatures, I'll bet you're pushing 75, 80 degrees right now. That yeah, was so true. We're, yesterday, well, two days ago, I was out on the water, so I know it was 81 degrees. Wow. Yeah. So, and you're open to all types of boating and, you know, you don't have to drive through any mudslides to get there either. (laughs) That's so true. Yeah. We have to every once in a while watch those afternoon thunderstorms, but other than that, we haven't had too many of those. Well, you know, another thing people don't realize that you've got great camping there and people will come out to camp and they think about the prairie being out there flat, but you actually have a lot of trees. We do. We do. We have quite a few trees, mainly cottonwood. You know, we do have some pine. Um, We do have, uh, we are removing the Russian olive trees, which are actually a weed, but um, some of those are being removed. So some of those shady spots that were once shaded with those Russian olives, they are being taken out. So that's going to be a process in the next few years as well. It's just, they're in stages. Um, So, but yeah, most of our... uh, Good campgrounds that have the big shade trees with the cottonwood are basically lakeside. Um, a few there in Cove and Pelican. And then the other three campgrounds, not as much shade by any means. Well, and what a what a great place, though, to go camping, especially as you get in the shoulder seasons towards fall. It's going to stay warm there. you got the warm water. you got the great beach. You've got boating. You've got great water levels this year. And for people who maybe just want to get away from things, the kids can swim and be out in the water. It's just a tremendous place. And the fishing. I know you said people come there for the walleyes. It's very popular for the walleyes and wipers. You have some other species there. And by the way, we covered the walleye and wiper fishing pretty extensively a couple weeks ago on the show with Brad Peterson from Brad Peterson Outdoors. So if people want to go back to uh, my page on 104.3 The Fan and look at that podcast. Brad got really into depth on catching those wipers and walleyes out in Jackson. He does really quite well. And I know a few other people who the wiper fishing is some of the best around right now. It's just that it's a spread out, shallow, it doesn't have a lot of features. So you have to approach it a little differently. But it really is a great opportunity. And then you have you have other things like you have, I think you have quite a number of trails, don't you? 
No, I'm not really. Not compared to other parks. We do have one main trail that kind of interweaves through the campgrounds. Um, it's a mile and a half long one way, but it kind of just goes through all the campgrounds that we have. And then, of course, we uh, you can also walk along the, the dam as well, and it's a two-mile stretch. And so, then you're you're connected so, to some wildlife areas, too, or very close to them. We do, yeah. yeah. We're kind of separated, but we do have two that kind of join us, um, Andrick Wildlife Area, right on, on basically I call the the southwest corner. And then, of course, on the northeast corner, we have the Jackson Lake Wildlife Area as well. And a lot of people like going fishing up there, Um because there's a little, well, there was, I know, there's there's some structure up there a little bit off the shoreline. Yeah, and um, you, but and in a lot of those areas, too, you've got great hunting. You know, teal seasons and dove season are both going to start in just about three weeks. I think you have opportunities for both there, right? We do. We do. I don't know what the, um, when they'll start filling those ponds on the Jackson Lake Wildlife Area, or we do also have two on our state park side as well. And then... Um, Andrick Pond, which on Andrick, there's a little bit of a reservation system. So make sure everybody knows, you know, the ins and outs on that. But it is limited hunting on weekends, Wednesdays and legal holidays. Um, and reservations are encouraged and you can't make them more than 14 days in advance on Andrick. All right. So, well, we've got time left. You have an event coming up. Hopefully the smoke won't interfere with it. But it's near and dear to your heart because your park had been has been certified as a dark dark sky area, I believe they call it. And so you get a lot yeah, of the us. dark sky, yeah, accredited dark skies, yeah. Yep. And so you so, get a Yeah, we've been having this program for several years and before we were accredited actually too. So um our group coming out of the northern Colorado out of the Fort Collins area, there's a group the that comes out and if the skies are good and not too smoky skies, they'll have this program. So um, we'll just have to wait and see. It might get canceled at the last minute, but um, they come out. They bring their big telescopes. It's uh, open for anybody, um, and it's awesome to look through different kinds of telescopes to view the, the skies. Yeah, you do a number of astronomy programs out there, and because it's dark sky, if people have never been to a dark sky area, like I sit in my hot tub and I live in Fort Collins, and the reflection of the city lights, only the brightest stars shine through. But when you get into a dark sky area, the sky is just totally different, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 awesome. I mean, we had this group out here a couple months ago. No, last month, sorry. And we got to see the the good old Milky Way. Um, it was in good visual. And then, of course, we got to see three different planets at that time. I don't know what they're going to be showing tonight. I don't, and hopefully they'll have it, but I'm afraid of these, uh, this hazy sky, what's going to happen. Yeah, well, people need to check because it, one, one event is tonight. These are the astronomy events you have out at the park. And the skies are beautiful when they bring. They bring out the telescopes. And people can come out anytime, of course, in view. But when you have these events, there's no fee for these events except for the entrance into the park. And with all those telescopes and you talk to people who know and can point things out. So there's one tonight. If they, if something happens to the one tonight, when is the next one, Darby? Uh, we'll have another one on September 10th at the park as well. And usually we'll have them up in Northview site. 241 there's some extra parking on that northeast side of that campground um so yeah if you have questions just call the park office and hopefully we'll have some answers if you're thinking about it tonight for sure and later date 
All right, Darby, thanks for coming on. It's really been great having you contribute to the show over the years. And you, you, you manage a park that has some really unique things for Colorado. People really need to check it out. And what a great year with your water levels as high as they are this late in the year. It's just the perfect time to get out there. Thanks for joining us, Darby. Thank you, and have a great day. You bet. That's uh, Darby Shanks from Jackson Lake. If you haven't been out to Jackson Lake, it's warm, warm water, a sandy beach. There's The fishing can be difficult and different, but once you understand it, it can be great fishing. And you've got the camping, you've got the dark sky. It's just a wonderful place to visit and camp. So give it a try. You know, you can't get through to the West Slope in a lot of places. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about the hatchery system here in Colorado and how it contributes to our fishing. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104. I almost said 1043 The Fan. We'll be back there next week, but we're on 1600 ESPN today. We're having uh, some training camp specials last week and this week over on The Fan. So we are doing a special time and a special broadcast on ESPN 1600, and we'll be here till noon today. So if you're new to the show and you like what you hear, um, go be- follow us from 9 to 11 over in the fan every Saturday. Let's go to the phones. Joining us is one of our regular contributors on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and one of our favorite fishing uh, analysts, let's say, and that's Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome as always. Always a great resource. You know, we are facing, right now, people want to get outdoors, but you can't get to the West Slope very easily because mudslides and road closures. A lot of the rivers, like I Pooter probably isn't even fishable right now, and I certainly wouldn't want to spend a lot of time with the chance of a flash flood. Big Thompson, I think, is doing pretty well. And some of the rivers on the West Slope, though, the flows were so low, the temperatures got high, and we're kind of being cautious with the fish. All that being said, there's still a lot of opportunity, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, we have everything from high-elevation trout that we'll certainly talk about Still good opportunities along the front range for warm water species. Um, That's really what I do uh, a heck of a lot of. But uh, it's nice because this time of year you don't necessarily have to worry about water temperatures. And at least the health of the fish, uh, they're so much stronger in that warm water than the trout are. And that's one of those main reasons why we're seeing a lot of closures on the, uh, the western half of the state. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is a good time to focus. You know, we're going to get, there's a lot of bait fish and that affects how you fish for them. But that means we also have healthy fisheries right here up and down the front range. Let's start with that. Maybe we'll get to some of the high mountain stuff. But what are you seeing on the front range lakes as far as the warm water fishing? As far as the bigger reservoirs are concerned, especially when we're talking about Chatfield and Cherry Creek and the Denver metro area, as you mentioned, there are a ton of bait fish out there. So in the early springtime, those big adult gizzard chats spawn, and this time of year, all their little babies are over the open water. I don't know if billions is the right term, but my goodness, there's a lot of bait in both Chatfield and Cherry Creek. And what happens with that is that those walleyes peel off of the main summertime structure areas that you're used to catching them with crawler harnesses and jigs and such stuff like that. And they're going out into that main base and chasing that bait. And what we're finding, at least on uh, Cherry Creek, we'll get to Chatfield here in a second, but early in the morning, you're getting a little bit of an opportunity to catch some fish on some blade baits, uh, a jigging wrap here and there, but mostly really shallow water where those fish are up that, in that shallow area hunting in that early morning. And then once that sun gets up to about that uh, 9.30 or 10 o'clock type position, those walleyes peel off of that structure and they're out in that open water. When they're doing that, we're catching them trolling uh, with planer boards and small crankbaits. And 
A lot of people ask me, well, why can't you just fish behind the boat? You know, you may get a few fish doing that, but the nice thing about those planter boards is it's taking that crankbait away from the boat, and I'm only fishing them in the bottom, maybe four or top, excuse me, four feet of the water column. So those fish are basically right about where your motor is going through the water. So uh, pushing that board away from the boat is really getting a lot of fish with a line set anywhere from 15 to 40 feet behind that board with flicker shads and salmon hornets. Let me tell you a quick story. Um, Mark Martin, a very famous professional walleye fisherman, and when I was writing for In Fisherman doing a lot of the walleye tournaments and covering them for the Walleye Insider, Mark was on a tournament, and he found out that if he ran his planer boards a certain distance from the boat, he almost doubled the amount of fish because not only was he putting it over the fish that were out there, but he was getting it over the fish that moved from his boat out there. So he tried to get a very specific distance. It's not as far as people think because you were pushing fish out there, plus there was fish there. Well, the camera boat from In Fisherman came to film him, and they were afraid to get too close. And so as they're filming him, he waves them in. So they're the same distance on the other side of his planer board as he is on his boat. Now he's got two boats pushing the fish into the planer board, plus the fish that were there, and he won the tournament. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's something that people don't quite understand with that. And, and when those, uh, those planer boards really do make a big difference, they're exactly as you mentioned. No, they really are. They're a great way to fish, and they're not as difficult as people think. Um, you know, it's nice to have two people so somebody can unhook one if you have a fish on, but they're really, they're, they're really not that difficult to fish, and they're really not that expensive to get into, are they? And they're a lifetime investment. So, you know, for 50 bucks, you get a, a board that uh, you really, it doesn't ever go bad. So you might change the clips here or there on it, but they stay around forever. And when you get good at them, if you like trolling, whether it be for walleyes or for trout or whatever you're looking for, it really is the only way to go if you're trolling with uh, things in the middle or the top part of your water column. And if you just want to spread lures out, even if you're fishing a little deeper, but you want to have, say you got two people with double rod stamps, you want to spread out four lines, you can cover exactly. a large swath have two right behind the boat and two out further, or two planer boards at different distances on each side, and you can really cover some water. It makes a huge difference. Or sometimes if you're fishing for trout and they're up in really shallow water along a shoreline, you can push that board all the way up against that shoreline or up against the dam like it's spinny, put a little spinner behind it or a small spoon that's not going very deep, and you can really let them have it in that shallow water doing that. Now, I hear the water levels at Chatfield are just plummeting downward. You know, they tried to fill it this year. They took it up, I think, 11 feet higher than it was before. But I heard those water levels are just coming down with the water we've needed over the last few weeks. Yeah, late this last week, we were about a foot and a half over what you would consider historic full pool. And so it's... It's interesting out there because there's some fish on structure and there's some fish that are out in that open water for the troll. So you're finding, I'm finding at least on that northeast-southwest roadbed on the western side of the lake, there's a heck of a lot of walleyes that are still on that right now. And they're eating some of your standard stuff, even crawler harnesses some, but blade baits have been very good, particularly perch-colored ones. Now, in the southern end, we're also finding fish on the edges of your structure points. The one interesting thing on that lake is that there's an absolute ton of white suckers in there. And those suckers have been piling up on some of those uh, structure point edges, looking a lot like walleye. And when you start to really get comfortable with your sonar, you can kind of tell the difference a little bit. They look a little bit different. But if you're in a spot where you're finding and seeing a lot of fish, but they're not biting, there is a chance there's suckers down there. We've dropped some cameras on them, and they are full, full, full stack big suckers down there. So that is kind of an interesting point. But they are, the walleyes are also down there as well. Now we're catching some fish. 
on uh, trolling applications out there. The big key on that lake is that those shad aren't as everywhere as you would say at Cherry Creek. So at Cherry Creek, kind of just the main area, there's, there's bait everywhere. But I'm finding that that those bait fish are moving around some. You're trolling through the bait at Chatfield. I'm kind of making some passes around with just my big motor looking for that bait to start with and then trolling through those areas uh, for those walleyes in the middle of the day. Yeah, and it's it's amazing. Uh, people don't, you know, I used to hear this all the time at Glendo. You know, at Glendo, the water would be high early. The fish would be in the shallows. You'd catch them all day long because that's where the bait fish were. The water would start to draw down. Falling water tends to pull the fish off the shore. The bait fish will go off to the first break line, whether it was weeds or a drop-off, and you could use bottom bouncers and jigs and catch a lot of fish. Then all of a sudden you got into July and people said, oh, you don't fish Glendo because the fish don't bite anymore. Well, I did a television show. It's on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, where Gary Darling and I virtually put on a clinic. We threw out some planer boards. You couldn't see the fish on the electronics. It's like you said. They were down maybe five, six feet, over 50, yep. 60 feet of water. We had planer boards out. We were trolling maybe two or three feet deep, and we virtually were harvesting fish. Yeah, it's amazing how good that works when you get all of everything to to go right. So, I mean, you get the right color and you get the right speed. A lot of the speeds we're going with at least are that 1.7 to 2 mile per hour range. But every day is a little bit different on baits and the, and the linked back. And when everything gets right, you can set everything to the same level and really put on a clinic, like you mentioned. Yeah, it really does. Let's change things up a little bit. We know, um, by the way, the ponds up and down the front range are fishing really well for bluegills and bass. Uh, and the warm water species, the walleyes, all the way through the front range lakes, they seem to be coming on. It's a little different in each body of water. Out out further east, except for um, Jackson, the water levels are kind of coming down. Jackson's holding yep. up, but it's a little more difficult to fish. But they're all producing, but we can't cover each one. But a lot of these tactics will work. Let's talk a little bit about the cold water fishing. If you were headed out for trout or going to a high mountain lake or even in a, a, a lower elevation, good trout lake, what are a few of the things you'd take advantage of? So on the high elevation, it's one of my absolute favorites this time of year, and particularly on a year when we're dealing with a lower water in a lot of the state, it's one of my favorites because it stays cold. So getting up to that timberline and slightly below range is where I like Uh, The streams connecting some of those high elevation lakes is a lot of times where I start fly fishing with a dry dropper rig with a little hopper or a humpy on top, trailing a little beadhead nymph. Split case PMD is one of my favorites this time of year, but some cased caddis can also work well. As you're shifting up into the lake, if you have a nice calm day with uh, some good bright sun, you can do a lot of sight fishing a lot of times with a good pair of polarized glasses. I'll start with a smaller hopper and then put maybe a Griffiths gnat or a parachute ant behind and you can pick off cutthroats and cruising brook trout doing that with pretty good regularity. If the water starts getting broken up with some wind or there's some clouds and you can't see very much, I may switch over to a streamer with a woolly bugger and then trailing a soft tackle hairs ear below a lot of times can be very productive. But if I'm in a lake setting, uh, you can also break out your spinning rod. Flying a bubble with some of the same techniques I just mentioned can be really good, but you can also throw something like a spoon out there. Tasmanian devils are always good. The new hit sticks from Berkeley are a little crankbait that works, or a little jerkbait, excuse me, that works exceptionally well that also can work good in your rivers. But the second rod stamp, we talk about it all the time. You can, uh, in places that permit it, can throw a bait line out on one rod with maybe some dough bait like a power bait. And then on your secondary rod, work one of these other presentations we mentioned with a spoon or a jerkbait or a fly in a bubble. 
No, you're right. They're absolutely just fantastic. couple comments. One is, if ever there was a year to fish a hopper dropper, if you walk through anywhere right now, the hopper harvest, the hoppers are just prevalent. They're everywhere in all sizes. It's You couldn't probably have a better year, and that's going to continue into the fall. Last question I have for you, and we'll have to have a short answer, but what are you seeing on the supply chain side of things? Been really rough. I uh, talked to a couple different reps, uh, Shimano in particular. A lot of the dates that we're seeing on ETAs are after the first of the year, if there's even an ETA. So I guess the the way to the best thing is if you're looking for gear, try to if you find it, buy it, right? Yeah, it's just kind of like ammunition. It's uh, it's pretty challenging still, and I'm seeing issues going into next year. Yeah, we're going to talk ammo later in the second hour if people are listening because it's really having an effect on people sighting in their guns or getting comfortable and not being able to hunt with the same ammo. We're going to discuss that. But but right now, I think you really need to understand that um, that if you want gear, go look for it now, buy it early, even if it's for next spring, and hang on to it because we don't know when this Austin, if people want to find you, where do they, where do they go? I'm a discount fishing tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right, my friend, thank you for joining us. As always, great information. Thank you so much, Doug. You bet. That's Austin Parr. He is just a tremendous resource. He's at Discount Fishing Tackle. They're on uh, Santa Fe here in Denver. And he's, he's a guide, too. If you want to learn some things from a young man who's just going to be a superstar in this industry, tune in. And by the way, if you like this kind of information... Remember, we're over here on ESPN for last week and this week. Next week, we'll be back over on the fan, our normal time, 9 to 11. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a Hall of Fame angler and a really good friend of mine. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. When today, we're on 1600 ESPN.